Well, hello. All three of us are here today. <laughs> Beware. Beware. Uh, we were just talking shit about the Overwatch fiasco, so we got a little distracted. Uh, but hello, everyone, and welcome to Whiskey Wednesday. It's a Fools and Flagons show where I, the DM, review and discuss various topics regarding D&D as suggested by you and the lovely people in our Discord. Whiskey Wednesdays will be available the Wednesday after the live stream on our YouTube channel in VOD form and in podcast form on iTunes, Spotify, Samsung Podcasts, and many other mainstream podcast services. If we are not on a podcast uh, service that you enjoy, well, for one, how the hell are you listening to us? And two, join the Discord and let me know, and I'll make sure that we get into that, uh, onto that service. And we promise not to laugh at you. Ah! <laughs> uh, donations are never required, but always appreciated. If you'd like to support us, please consider our coffee page. All proceeds from donations and memberships go straight back into making Pools and Flagons an even better experience, and it helps keep the podcast alive and well. So, hi, hello. We are back at it again with more 1D&D playtest rules. And as voted by the people in the Discord, we are going to be talking about the classes today. Because there's there's a lot to go over in this one. Um, there's a lot more feats. Uh, a fair few of the glossary terms have changed. So generally the way that this uh, these playtestings are going to work is that they will quasi-build on top of each other. So you can still technically use everything from the first playtest rule set. But the main thing that you have to look for is the glossary terms. If you have a term like uh, the D20 test, if that is repeated in the next uh, rule set, like what we're looking at today, the newer ones supersede the old ones. Case in point, critical hits and critical fails. The, or inspiration, I should say. In the first one, the way that you got inspiration was by rolling a natural 20 on a d20 test. In this particular set of playtest rules, you get inspiration by rolling a natural 1. To and I, I believe their idea behind that was, you are inspired to do better next time. Which is okay. kind of stupid. Yeah. <laughs> I don't particularly like it. But they came out in the video and they said... These are literal tests. Like, in no way, shape, or form are any of these set in stone. We're just trying to see what might stick. So, if you haven't already, you can go to dndbeyond.com and you can download these rules, try them out yourself. And I believe the, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? The survey will be available October 20th. Today is October 5th as far as this stream is going live. Uh, so, I missed the window to vote, or not to vote, to submit a survey on the last one. Uh, I'm going to be doing my damnedest to join in on this one. So, how you guys doing? Good. Shut up to get to the good shit. Go! Okay, I was stalling for a whiskey. Shut up. <laughs> So, um, today we're going to be talking about the Bard, the Ranger, and the Rogue. These three are part of the Expert class. They've kind of... Uh, segregated is the wrong word, but my whiskey brain can only think of that right now. They have divided up the, um, the 12 classes into four groups. That in and of itself doesn't do anything to them. 
it just makes it easier for Wizards of the Coast to have rules that affect those groups. So, in one sense, it'll say, like, uh, well, this feat can only be taken by uh, a member of the expert group. Well, that would include Bard, Ranger, Rogue. Mages are going to be Sorcerer, Warlock, and Wizard. Priests will be Cleric, Druid, and Paladin. And the Warriors will be Barbarian, Fighter, and Monk. Uh, and actually, I'm going to read this paragraph here because it better explains it than I did. A class group has no rules in itself, but prerequisites and other rules can refer to these groups. For example, only members of the mage group might be able to attune uh, to a particular magic item, or a feat might be available only to members of the warrior group. So that's pretty much why they're doing that. They're trying to simplify things later on down the road. Mm. Um, <clears throat> the other big thing about this one is each class's old 20th level feature has moved to 18th level, opening up 20th level for epic boons. Epic boons are going to be a level 20 feat. Uh, for the most part, in these ones, they have a suggested epic boon. Some of them are kind of crap. Some of them are kind of good, like you can see their usefulness. But there are some that are really good, and you'd be kind of dumb to not take them. So, uh, let's see. Uh, we'll get to the Bard first. They are part of the expert group, Hinger Dinger Durgan. Their primary ability is Charisma. They're actually putting this at the forefront of the description now, so you know what to put your ability scores into. And another thing I actually wanted to touch on super quick that they've also changed is that to multi-class a class, you have to have at least... 13 points in the primary ability of that class. So if you wanted to be a bard, but you had a 12 or lower in charisma, you could not multi-class as a bard. You have to have at least a 13. Where this becomes a big thing is skipping forward to ranger. The ranger's primary uh, class abilities, scrolling down, scrolling down, are dexterity and wisdom. So if you wanted to multi-class as a ranger, you would have to at least have a 13 in both Dexterity and Wisdom. So that's kind of a big thing to keep in mind if you ever want to multi-class something uh, come to the future. And another thing that I, I may... I kind of want to go ahead and tackle this because it's really, really bothering me, and I want Zach to help me to rules lawyer this. Yes. Uh, Zach, you have it pulled up, don't you? I'm looking at page. I'm totally not looking at epic boons. I'm totally looking at expert classes. Yes. What am I? What am I? Can you at? go to page five for me? Uh, making me do work. Okay, I'm on page five. If you look down at spell slots, well, spell so slots. What it says for spell slots: the bard table shows how many spell slots you have at each level to cast your bard spells of first level and higher. The number of different spells you can prepare of each level equals the number of spell slots you have at that level. For example. As a 5th level bard, you have 4 1st level spell slots, 3 2nd level spell slots, and 2 3rd level spell slots. Now, yeah. the other thing that I want to look at is a little bit on, on at the very bottom of page 4 is the multi-classing of the bard. Mm -hmm. And at the top of page 4, we've got spell slots there as well. Add all mm -hmm. your bard levels to the appropriate levels from other classes <laughs> to determine your available spell slots for casting spells, as detailed in the multi-classing rules. 
You prepare spells for each of your classes individually, referring to the spell slots of an individual class to determine the number and level of spells you prepare for it. Yeah. So, and bear with me as I try to thought process my way through this. Let me actually throw this up onto the stream as well. So if I'm looking at the Bard's uh, spell level table here. Which is on page what? Uh, page three. It's the very bottom of page three. It's a big old table. You can't miss it. Oh, okay. So if my understanding of those two sets of rules is correct, let's say that you are ninth level total, but you only have three levels in Bard. Mm-hmm. Well, that sounds like to me is you can have first and second level spells from Bard. You could have four first level and two second level spells. Yeah. However, because you were a total of ninth, you technically have up to fifth level spell slots available. So, yeah, but if you read if you read what it said before, those will be reserved for whatever the other class is. But that's so that means that the spell slots themselves. Yeah. So the way that this is worded, the way that this is worded, is so let's just say I'm playing my cleric and I multiclass as a wizard. I'm playing my cleric. Oh, cleric I see what you're talking about. So I will have, let's just say I'm ten levels in in cleric, mm-hmm. and then I'm five levels in wizard. So I'm level okay. fifteen in total. Okay. I will have up to fifth level spells. In cleric, you'll have everything. We'll just we'll just use the bar table for this hypothetical because I don't know what the clerics actually have. Right. So I'm gonna have all of my cantrips, all of the first, second, third level fit spells, and then I'm going to have all of the same things that a wizard would have <clears> up <throat> to level five. So I would have first four, first level three, second level two, second level, but those would come from the wizard spell table, and the right. other your ten level or your whatever level you are in cleric is going to come from the cleric table. So they're going to be completely separate. I have a feeling that the way that this is worded, you're going to have two separate spell little areas. So you think that you're going to have a, if we're considering D and D beyond how they work, when you click on spells, you're going to have a ranger section and a wizard section, let's say. Yes. Or bard and wizard. Sorry. With the way that it is worded, that's what I'm imagining them saying. That being said, this, Oh, this also... Because it says, you prepare spells for each of your classes individually, which makes sense. If you only have three levels in Ranger, you should only have access to your third level Ranger spells. But referring to the spell slots of an individual class that determine the number and levels of the spells you prepare for it. But I, I guess the main thing that I'm curious about is, if, if you are only five levels into Bard and ten levels into Wizard... Does that mean that you can only cast up to uh, third level spells as a bard? Or does that mean that you can technically upcast to eighth since you are 15th level total? That depends on if they they don't say that in here. At least they haven't yet. So unless they come out and say you can use spell slots for each or other, I would say the way that it's worded right now, no. And and that's the thing. It's frustratingly poorly worded because it in my own personal interpretation and i very well could be wrong while you could only take up to a third level ranger spell 
you could because we'll we'll get to that a little bit later. But you you actually have access to certain spells at certain levels. Um, but you would still be able to upcast that third level spell. You just wouldn't be able to take a fifth level spell, but you could cast, I don't know, Hunter's Mark at, you know, which granted, we'll, we'll get to that later. Hunter's Mark is vastly different. I don't know. <sighs> yeah, it's I very weirdly no, no, no. worded. For balance purposes, I doubt that will be the way that it is. Because, like, that would make some multi-classing classes really fucking busted. Right, so, as an example... With my character, Boar, he was a Bard Barian. I only had three levels into Bard because I wanted him to have jack-of-all-trades and be able to play Song of Rest. The other five levels were Barbarian. Because I think we were level seven or level eight. I don't really remember. Something like that. But, because then that would mean that theoretically, I would only have access to first and second level spells, but I would be able to upcast them to level four so that my spells would actually keep pace with me as we're playing. No, I don't believe that. Again, that is if my interpretation of the really weirdly worded rules that they have here is what it will be, but I'm starting to lean towards what you're saying. No, because that other subclass that you are multi-classing is not a caster. You are not getting higher level spell slots because a barbarian does not gain spell slots at a higher level. Right. And that's the tricky part. It says, add all your bard levels to the appropriate level from other classes. What the fuck does appropriate levels mean? We'll find out. You also have to remember, this may just, like, do any of the other ones say that as well? Or is it just bard that is worded like that? Oh, no, no. It does the same thing with ranger. Except for ranger, it's like, add ranger to your other appropriate levels and then have it. Like, half. Like, cut it in half. Yeah, it all depends. So, I have a feeling... Whatever you choose as your primary class is going to be how you determine what you're going to get. Because if all of them are worded differently, if you, for example, want to do exactly what you just said, like if you want to do like boar and do like barbarian and bard, the barbarian page is going to say, you do this, and then yeah. if anything else is whatever, this happens, or you get this. It, it's weird, man. I hope that they fix the wording on some of this, because <laughs> it's it just... It is confusing. I will not argue. Yeah. Well, let's let's skip over the confusing shit and get into some of the cool stuff that's going on here. Yes. Uh, so, still looking at Bard, because that's the first one on the list. We've got Bardic Inspiration. Now, Kirsten, who's an old hand... No, I don't want to play Gold Simulator 3. Uh, yes, you do. So Bardic Inspiration, what it used to be is, as a bonus action, you could basically uh, sing a song, recite a limerick, or just say something encouraging to your party members, and you would give them, uh, depending on your level, it'll be a D6, a D8, a D10, or a D12 of Bardic Inspiration. And that person then holds on to that, until they take a long rest, and they can use it on ability checks, ability saves, attacks. Basically, anytime they're rolling a d20 for something, they can roll their inspiration dice and add it to it. But it was on them to do this. Now, Bardic Inspiration is a reaction. So, uh, boosting a d20 test, when another creature within 60 feet of you that you can see or hear fails a d20 test, you have to wait for them to fail. 
you can use your reaction to give the creature a bardic inspiration die. The creature rolls that die and adds the number rolled to the d20, potentially turning the failure into a success. The other thing is that a bard can heal with their inspiration dice. So immediately after another creature within 60 feet of you that you can see or hear takes damage, you can use your reaction roll to roll your bardic inspiration die and restore a number of hit points to the creature equal to that number rolled. So basically, Kasumi takes a brick to the face, dies. If the bard hears that, they go, no, you're healed. And you're back up to whatever inspiration die they were able to roll. As a reaction. Hmm. Yeah. That is nuts. That is pretty fucking strong. Now, the other big thing here is that starting out, you can only regain these uh, Bardic Inspiration charges via a long rest. As you level up, you will be able to get it as a short or long rest, which we'll get to eventually. Um, But yeah, I mean, that's just... It's such a wild deviation from how it is now that, generally speaking, if you have a dice like that, you have to choose to roll that before you reveal the result to the DM to kind of not metagame, I guess. But I kind of like this way better. I don't hate it. I think both of them have their... I think both of them have their pros and cons. I think there are more pros to this than cons. Well, there's less chance of wasting it. Because if, if you were to give uh, Brick inspiration and he doesn't use it because he keeps, like, rolling, you know, 18s, 19s, and it's like, well, he doesn't fucking need it because I thought it was going to be hard to, you know, drop kick the door down, but he's just rolling really high. I wasted that bardic inspiration on him. Versus in this method, you wait until he's about to fail, and then you're like, you can do it if you really try. And then he has a potential to succeed. He could still fail. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Song of Rest, though, um, it's no longer a thing. So the way that Song of Restoration or so- the Song of Rest used to work is at the end of a short rest... You could play a little ditty, and you could add um, an extra amount of healing to your hit point dice rolled if they chose to heal. Now you basically get healing spells for free that do not count towards your prepared spell list. So, at second level, you get healing ward. At fourth level, you get lesser restoration. Sixth level, you get mass healing ward. 8th level, you get freedom of movement, which basically means you can't be grappled, you aren't slowed by difficult terrain. And at 10th level, you get greater restoration. Like, you just... By the time you're 10th level, you have five really fucking good spells. Just (laughs) cuz. Oh, and another thing! Uh, So far that I've seen, every class that can cast spells is able to swap their spells out after a long rest where that used to be like a wizard and a cleric and a druid thing it's now pretty much everyone Hmm. which takes a little bit of the fear out of leveling up your character like a bard if a bard took uh chain lightning or or whatever the spell is that they're able to get they were stuck with that for the rest of the game but now 
you take a long rest and boop boop. Uh, and, and Zach, you, I remember telling you about the, uh, the number of spells that you can, you can take and you were kind of disgruntled about that. So I, I kind of want to go over that real quick, just so that, uh, people listening will kind of understand it. So, uh, at higher levels in this class, you can prepare more spells as shown on the bar table. The number there determine the number of different spells you can prepare of each level. For example, as a third level bard, you can prepare two different cantrips, four different first level spells, and two different second level spells. The difference there is that it used to be when you reached third level, as an example, you could theoretically take six second level spells and just not have a first level spell to cast. They're changing that now. They're, they are limiting what you were able to take. So... Uh, like, if you were a 5th level bard, or sorry, if you were a 10th level bard, you would have 4 first level spells, 4 cantrips, 3 second, 3 third, 3 fourth, and 2 fifth. So you couldn't take 6 first level spells, 2 second, 1 third, 2 fourth, and 1 fifth, or whatever that maths out to be. You were now actually, like, properly limited to how many of each level spell slots you can take. Now, granted, you can still upcast everything. But I'm curious to, to hear thoughts on this, because I'm, I'm okay I with said it. Before, I said it before, I don't mind that it's being done. I just don't like it, because they're removing your ability to take what you want. To an extent. But, I mean, if you look at when you're 19th... Or uh, 17th level and you get an 8th and a ninth level spell. There's really almost no point in having more than one 8th or ninth level spell. Because you can only cast one of each. So, is it really hurting you that much to not be carrying around three ninth level spells that you can only use one of a day? It's... That is one scenario. No, no, I know. But I, I'm, I'm posing that scenario because I'm sure that some people have done that. But it's a matter. So I'm not arguing, but to a degree, it's not a matter of like you can't. Well, you can't use them. Well, yeah, obviously you can't use them. But what if a situation you're in requires X, but you took Y because you can only have one? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, it, both sides of the coin. It's kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't. But I also kind of feel like this is going to help. Being devil's advocate here, I feel like it's going to help newer players to have a better grasp on balancing themselves out so that they don't potentially screw themselves over, if that makes sense. I don't know. It's it's an interesting change. I'm certainly not against it. Uh, let's see. Jack of all trades has not changed. Oh, you do get expertise at second level, which basically any two proficiencies that you have... Uh, or any two skill proficiencies you already have, you can make them or with expertise, which is basically doubling your proficiency bonus to them. Um, let's see, at 7th level, that's when you get the font of Bardic Inspiration. When you finish a short or a long rest, you get all of your expended uses of Bardic Inspiration back. Uh, you get more expertise at level 9. Magical Secrets is really fucking interesting here. So at 11th level, 
you can take two spells from any spell list. Currently with, with Bard, you're only able to take spells from uh, the Arcane spell list. And you can only take, let's see. Um, da, 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 da. Uh, so you, you take your spells from the Arcane spell list and it can only be part of Divination, Enchantment, Illusion, or Transmutation. So I think Evocation is the only one you don't have access to. Um, but at 11th level, when you get Magical Secrets, you could take two spells from any spell list. Period. And because of the way that you, at the end of a long rest, you could swap out your spells, you can swap those two spell out, spells out from any of those spell lists at any after any long rest. It's just... It's... <laughs> yeah, you just get two spells. Cuz. Yeah. Uh, 15th level, you get to take two more uh, from any spell list that you want. Mm -hmm. uh, Superior Bardic Inspiration. This is at 18th level. When you roll initiative, you regain two expended uses of your Bardic Inspiration. Uh, wait, there was another... Oh, I'm sorry. There was another paragraph to the Font of Inspiration. I missed this part. Uh, so back at 7th level, where you get to recharge it at a short and long rest. In addition, if a creature rolls your Bardic Inspiration die and gets a 1 after any rerolls you may have, that use of your Bardic Inspiration isn't expended. So basically, if they turbo fail with a 1, even if they succeed with the 1, it doesn't expend the use of Bardic Inspiration. So let's say that Zahn, or Zach Zahn, you roll a... 16 but the dc was like 17 you roll the inspiration die you get a one and it's just enough to make you succeed but you still roll the one the bard does not expend their bardic inspiration die interesting it's very interesting uh the other kind of cool thing that they've done here is they have recommended bard spell lists yeah. um it, it's it's just really nice for new players that they maybe won't take shit that they shouldn't be taking. Like things that are actually really good for your class to do. I mean, charm person, blur and shatter, minor illusion, calm emotion, haste, tongues. Like these are all very bardy abilities. I mean, like I'm definitely happy that they're doing this, but at the same time, like I guess they're, well, I guess they're making it, easier for that too it's just like it's one of those where like i see why they're doing it what but at the same the suggested spells well i see no not suggested i don't know i guess is the i don't really know of a way to word it it's like as a good like i don't know for me the, the sign of a good dm is a dm making sure that if you know if you have a new player you're doing your best to you know sure i was well, usher them to I guide them I'm, yeah to guide them yeah to like some of the better decisions just because they didn't they don't take what you know everyone else takes doesn't necessarily mean you know that they're oh, very true but at the same time if you're in the middle of a session and you've taken a long rest and you don't want to bother the dm because they're doing a bunch of stuff you at least have something yeah. a, su a suggestion of what could be here but yes, you are correct that the, the player should trust in the DM and the DM should be able to help that player until they're more comfortable to do it on their own. But I do like that they have 
So, like, if you're playing a bard from the first time and you come up to me and you're like, hey, I'm 7th level, I'm seeing here in the in the player handbook, it says that it's recommending compulsion. What do you think? And I go, well, these are the kind of situations compulsion would be good in, blah, blah, blah. It's more maybe roleplay-centric because you're doing subterfuge, but we're doing, like, a lot of combat, so maybe something like... Um, uh, like greater invisibility, like it's saying further down, or polymorph might be a better spell to take at this point in time because, yeah. yeah so I I like that it's at least potential talking points between the player and the DM to figure out yeah. what might be a decent thing to do. I can't argue with that. Uh, so this also gives us a brief peek into the College of Lore subclass for the Bard. Uh, I don't know how interested you guys are to go through that or not. Which floor? I'd, I mean, that's up to you. I mean, we, we can touch yeah, on it super quick. Um, as the College of Lore, uh, you're basically really, really book smart. And you know a lot of history. So Fucking with nerds. that... Yeah. <laughs> at third level, that's when you're able to pick the college that you belong to. Uh, you gain three skill proficiencies in Arcana, History, and Nature. If you already have one of these proficiencies, choose a skill proficiency you lack. Boom, you gain that proficiency. Uh, you've got cutting words. You learn how to use your wit to supernaturally distract, confuse, and otherwise sap the confidence and competence of others. When a creature that you can see within 60 feet of yourself succeeds on an ability check or an attack roll, you can use your reaction to expend one of your uses of Bardic Inspiration, rolling a Bardic Inspiration die and subtracting the number rolled from the creature's roll, potentially turning it into a failure. Yes. Um, going on to 6th level, Cunning Inspiration. Through your studies in Cunning, you've learned to inspire others exceptionally well. When any creature rolls your Bardic Inspiration die, that creature can roll the die twice and use the higher of the two rolls. It's basically giving you advantage on Inspiration. Yeah, I did notice that. Uh, improved Cutting Words does the exact same thing as Cutting Words before, but whatever you roll to negate that damage, you deal in Psychic Damage to that creature. Well, uh, Inspiration plus your Charisma. Whatever you rolled on your Inspiration Dice plus your Charisma modifier, you deal in Psychic Damage to the creature. So even if it succeeds or fails, you're still going to be dealing damage to them. Gotcha. Uh, 14th level, Peerless Skill. When you make an ability check and fail, you can expend one use of Bardic Inspiration. Roll the die and add the number rolled to the ability check, uh, potentially turning it into a success. If the check still fails, the, gar the, the, gardic, the Bardic Inspiration is not expended. So, basically, if you were inspiring yourself... You can base if you still fail, you don't expend a use of it, which is good. It's, it's pretty cool. So I'm I'm really excited to see what some of the other bardic subclasses are going to be. Um, I feel overall the bard with the current rules has gotten a significant buff. I would say so. I can't argue with that. I don't really know much about bards, so I can't really <laughs> argue with that. <laughs> I think that would be an interesting character to see Zach playing a bard. Oh, you don't want to see me playing a bard. <laughs> I guarantee you I'll break it and Ian will hate me. 
<laughs> I'm, I'm I'm honestly just... so tempted. I wish you still had your flute somewhere so that whenever you did something, you just go, and that was it. That was your whole bard identity. <laughs> it's just quickly trilling oh, on the no, flute. No, 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 no. I'd have to remember. I'd have to learn how to play the fucking the flute, uh, the Oompa Loompa flute. Oh, thank you. Literally, <laughs> <laughs> it's either that or jazz flute. That too. Or the ocarina. No, it's not a flute. It's an ocarina. And. Good job, Kirsten. Just ruined it. I mean. Okay. You're welcome. Technically, a flute, you're blowing over, you're blowing across a hole. The ocarina, you're blowing into the vessel itself, so. So that's, okay. That's like a recorder. Got it. Yeah, recorder uh, is closer yeah, I'll give than you a recorder. Recorder mm -hmm. and ocarina are closer than an ocarina. Yeah. Fuck, a conch yeah. is closer to an ocarina than a flute is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, moving right along into Ranger, which is... In my own personal opinion, um, broken what? as fuck right now. Like, it's it's just... Oh, God. So, as, as I said before, their primary, primary ability is dexterity and wisdom. Um, I'm actually kind of curious primary, because... Wait, wait, what? Their primary your, ability? Your primary ability scores. Oh, it just... is, is dexterity and wisdom. You need your dexterity to shoot your bows, and you need wisdom as your spellcasting modifier. Okay. So I'm actually kind of interested. I, I may need to read through these rules a little bit closer to see, but if you want to multi-class as a ranger, you have to have your dex and wisdom as 13. But I don't think it says if you are a ranger to start out that you have to have those at 13. I think it's just a multi-class. I mean, it would be stupid, but technically That's a question speaking? for future us. Wait, what? Say it again? That's a question for future us. Yes, for, for, for future Whiskey Wednesdays topics. Um, I'm skipping over most of like, the hit points of the proficiencies because they're still generally bog standard. Your saving throw proficiencies are strength and dexterity. You get uh, athletics, stealth, survival... Uh, or choose any of their selected ones there that you get proficiencies in. Um, Rangers are only able to cast up to 5th level spells, which is why when I was saying before, uh, the multiclassing part of that was worded differently. Where'd it go? Uh, spell slots for the Ranger. Add half your Ranger levels rounded up to the appropriate levels from other classes to determine your available spell slots for casting spells as detailed in the multi-classing rules. It's, again, just really, really yeah, strangely thing, worded. Let me, so add half your rituals. Yeah, it's just you prepare spells for each class. <laughs> I mean I'ma need a fucking walkthrough from a Wizards of the Coast employee to be like this is what we mean. Cause I'm sure it makes perfect sense to them. They're writing the fucking rules, but to an idiot like me, I it's confusing. The appropriate levels from other classes. So I'm guessing I'm guessing this is one of those where 
I'm gonna take a take a step out. Appropriate levels. I'm guessing this is so that, like, for example, I'm I'm a level eleven ranger. Okay. And I'm a level five of a wizard. Fuck it. So you're sixteen total. So it's saying half rounded up to the appropriate levels of other classes. I'm guessing if you multi-class, you can't go above what you would have ranger level-wise for spells. So, like, for example, in that situation, you would technically have six levels to add to whatever your spell slots for for the other are, but that would put you at a higher level wizard than you would be for bard. Ranger. Or ranger. So, like, I don't know. Like, that is very weird. It's very weirdly worded. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know if I'm just dumb, but I have not been able to wrap my head around that appropriately to a to a satisfactorily... I haven't been able to wrap my head around it to a level of satisfaction that I could be like, yes, this makes sense to me. Because my, <laughs> my brain flip-flops to one description over the other. <clears throat> so, let's not break our brains here and move on to stuff that actually makes sense with the way that it's written. Actually, hysterically, this is this wording's already been used. Explain. So, for artificers, add half your levels rounded up in the artificer class to the appropriate levels from other classes to determine your available spell slots. So, in the case your caster is level 8, you would have four first level slots, three second level slots, three third level slots, and two fourth level slots. I got eight from three levels in wizard, five levels in the fighter. That's real pay, but <laughs> no, this guy just like he 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 breaks it down very effectively in the first one, and then he's like, uh, "Hold on a second. Oh, those are two different situations. Oh, okay, 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 okay. That's why it's in parentheses." <laughs> Well, because he's, he's like, wizard, and then he has parentheses. Five levels with fighter and Eldritch, and then rogues and arcane trickster. I'm like, the fuck is he five-classing this shit all of a sudden? <laughs> Math! <laughs> so, okay, hold on a second. So in your case, your caster level is... So... So your level is eight. Now, is he doing this with the playtest rules, or is this old D&D? No, these are old. It's literally worded exactly the same. This isn't something new that they just were like, hey, by the way. No, this is literally exactly how it's worded. I just typed in, I copied that fucking phrase that didn't make sense, and fucking Googled it, and this shit came up immediately. <laughs> so, like, D&D's been doing this shit for a while, apparently. <laughs> So let me just look over this real quick here. So in your example, your spellcaster is level eight. Therefore, you have this, 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 and this. I got eight. I got eight. Actually, from the so the multi-classing prerequisites have actually always been there. I did not know that. Yeah. Interesting. So you determine your available spell slots by adding together all of your levels in bard, cleric, druid, sorcerer, and wizard classes. Half your levels rounded down. If you have the eldritch nitrant, this is undetermined. So this is all of them. So you're level eight, so it should get you up to fourth level. Alright, well to keep the uh the yeah, keep going. I'm gonna figure I'm gonna yeah, um, I'm gonna keep 
I'm reading through this. Yeah, there was a lot of dead space and a lot of mumbling as we're trying to read and figure out what the fuck is happening. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm gonna pull up a couple things for this this is why i usually dm under the rule of cool so long as it sounds pretty fucking dope i'll let it slide because just rules luring stuff like this it's 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 not for me um so as opposed to the bard who got their expertise at second level the ranger gets it at first level so starting out you have expertise in two of your skill proficiencies of your choice oh. um the other first level feature here is favored enemy it's not what it used to be. Favorite enemy used to be like, oh, well, I pick orcs that I hate forever, and you get bonus damage to them or whatnot. Favorite enemy now <clears throat> is basically giving you a your hunter's mark spell for free. It's always prepared. Uh, it doesn't count towards the number of spells that you have prepared. Moreover, you no longer have to concentrate on the spell. Once you cast it, it lasts for the full uh, full duration, and you can end it on a bonus action or until you are incapacitated. So you basically just say, Hunter's marked. And no matter how many times you get hit, they are still marked for, what, eight hours? Something like that? I don't remember off the top of my head how long it is, because I'm just flabbergasted by the fact that it's no longer concentration, and you just you get it for free. Um goes on into the spell stuff that we're already kind of... I think I just found something that actually explains it correctly. Go for it. And it makes sense. So it's you determine your available spell slots by adding together all of your levels with whatever it is, rounded up, down, whatever. If you have more than one spellcasting class, this table gives you slots of a level that is higher than the spells you know or can prepare. So what what they're saying with that wording is, for example, let's just say you have... You're multiclassing, and you have a fourth level spell slot, but you're not high enough of level to learn a fourth level spell. It's just giving you the ability to still have those spell slots so you can upcast stuff that is of a lower level. That's literally all it's doing. So, for example... So I was kind of right. So if you're a ranger level four and a wizard level three, you count as a fifth level character for determining your spell slots. Of which you have first level slot, uh, four first level, three second level, two third levels. However, you don't know any third level spells, nor do you know any second level ranger spells. This is just giving you the ability to upcast the spells that you do know and potentially enhance their effects. That's literally all it is. Okay. It's not like, oh, you're getting this. All it's saying is you're adding these together to determine what level of a caster you are. Yeah, which gives you your spell slots, so you're able to upcast. So then theoretically, with that being said, does that only factor into classes that can cast spells? Or with my Barbarian Bard, was I able to upcast my spells? Technically, you would be able to upcast those spells. That being said, whatever class you're multiclassing with will tell you if you're going to be rounding up or down and what you're going to be adding. So it's all different. So if you're um, like adding stuff to like a barbarian, it will tell you what to add to it. So you still may not get like ninth level spell slots, but you'll oh, still yeah. get. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I'm not yeah. expecting ninth level, but I'm expecting that if I'm level 12, I'm not stuck casting first level spells. I mean, granted, I'm going to be casting first level spells, but I'd be able to upcast them to, yes. you know, fucking three or four or something. Yes. So that is so that's literally how it works. If 
if the Barbarian says to add these levels to spellcasting, which, as you were saying, it probably doesn't. It probably only works for classes that can cast spells. Not necessarily true, because we don't I, see the other which ones is why yet. I said how probably. Much is, yeah, which, since we haven't really seen the other stuff yet, we won't know. Yep. Uh, so, scooching right there along there. Uh, second level, you get to pick your fighting style for the ranger. We're back on the ranger. Uh, you gain one of the following fighting style feats of your choice. Archery, defense, or two-weapon fighting. You're basically getting another feat for free. You're getting to pick what flavor of Legolas you want to be. Yes. Whenever you gain a feat at later levels, fighting style feats are among your options, even though you aren't a member of the warrior group. So therein is part of what they're talking about. Normally, the warrior group is the only one that's able to take fighting style feats, but because you are a ranger... You're an exception to the rule. Fuck uh, you, Rangers. <laughs> third level, you get to pick your subclass. Fourth level, you get a feat. Fifth level, you get your extra attack. You can attack twice instead of once whenever you take the attack action on your turn. Uh, seventh level, you get roving. Your speed increases by 10 feet while you are not wearing heavy armor. You also have a climb speed and a swim speed equal to your normal speed. So, at 7th level, you can move, climb, and swim 40 feet. Because pretty much every single uh, race at this point has at least 30 feet of movement. Yeah. Bitch is fucking Spider-Man at that damn point. Yeah. Well, now, granted, it does say later on that you can only do one type of movement per turn. So, for example, say that you want to go and climb up a wall. If you have your 30 feet of movement, but it takes you 10 feet to move up to the wall and i'll have to check this again here in a minute but i believe you use your 10 feet to move up to the wall but you cannot convert your next 20 feet into climbing i think that that moving to the oh, wall is all you're climb. able to do that's dumb that's very dumb let, let me let me go down and check it real quick um like, that's extra special kind of dumb if that's how they do it. Uh, so a climb like, speed can be used to move on a vertical surface without expending the extra movement normally associated with climbing. A climb speed can also be used in any situation in which your speed is usable. Some creatures have the spider climb trait, which allows their climb speed to work even on the underside of horizontal surfaces. Uh, am I? I swear I'm not making that up. I swear I read that. Hold on. Well, if we come across it, we come across it again. Yeah, but I don't, I don't want to like lead people astray, you know. Okay. Uh, what? No. Next. Oh Jesus. Difficult terrain. Exhaustion. F fuck off. Tips and tricks. Get out of here. <laughs> yeah. Grappled condition, jump action, move. Okay. When you move, you can go a distance equal to your speed or less. For example, if you have a speed of 30 feet, you can go up to 30 feet when you move. Difficult terrain can slow you down, breaking up your move. You can break up your move using some of its movement before and after any action you take on the same turn. For example, if you have a speed of 30 feet, you can go 10 feet, take an action, then go 20 feet. Moving around other creatures. Ah, climbing and swing. You can use your speed to climb or swim. Some creatures also have a climb speed or a swim speed. 
If you use your speed to climb or swim, each foot of movement costs one extra foot. For example, if you swim or climb five feet, you must expend 10 feet of movement to do so with your speed. If you're swimming or climbing through difficult terrain, okay, blah, 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 that's not quite it. Special speeds. Some creatures have special speeds, such as climb speed, a fly speed, or a swim speed. If you have more than one speed, you must choose which one to use each time you take your move. For example, if you have a speed and a climb speed, you can use one of those speeds when you move, not both during the same move. If you take more than one move on a turn and have more than one speed, each move can use the same speed or a different one. For example, if you have both speed and fly speed, and you take the dash action on your turn, you can use your speed for the move and your fly speed for the dash or vice versa. So I was kind of right. If you say I want to move and you move, you would then have to say I want to take my dash action to fly or to climb. That's the way that I'm reading this. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm I'm actually more confused than I was before. <laughs> <laughs> Like, the way you're just, like, you're explaining things, and I just need the simplification, so if you walk up to, if I have 40 feet of movement, yes, I can move, and I'm 10 feet away from wall, I can move 10 feet up to that wall, and I cannot climb at all. You would have to use your dash action to use your climb speed. That's the, if you take more than one move on a turn, and have more than one speed which means like a movement speed, a climbing speed, and a swimming speed, because some classes have like 30 feet of movement speed, 10 feet of climbing speed, something like that, something stupid. No, no, that I, so that I get, which is fine, but what I'm saying, so, so at this point, for it's example, better... uh, sorry, hold on. If you take each move can use the same speed or a different one. For example, if you have both a speed and a fly speed, you can take, and you take the dash action on your turn, you could use your speed for the move and your fly speed for the dash or vice versa. So it sounds like when you decide that you are moving, you have to decide which type of moving you're doing. Are you doing a normal speed, a climb, a fly, or a swim? I, I, if you have those different movement values. So you could do both as long as you don't use different values. That's what it sounds like. So if you were, if you were like you said... 40 feet of movement and you have 10 feet to move to get to the wall you cannot then say i want to use my climb speed you are still moving using your move speed so you would have to use five so you would have 30 feet, feet of movement left over but because climbing uses half your movement speed you would only be able to climb 15 feet using your move speed that's totally fine the yes. way that we were saying it before it's like yeah oh man i'm five feet away from this wall well i guess i can't climb anymore i'm like that's fucking stupid if Why you, would you, if, you <laughs> if you wanted to use your climb speed for your distance to travel, you would have to take a dash action to do so. You walk five feet up to a four foot tall fence. Fuck! Fuck! <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh my god, I'm so glad that wasn't as bad as I was thinking. I'm just sitting here like... I understand oversimplification, but goddamn, at least let the poor man jump over a fence. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, Please continue. No, no, that, that's a very good question. I'm glad we covered that. Uh, let's see. You get more expertise at level nine. Why is this song so much louder than the others? I don't understand. You get, Whatever. Expertise. You get a lot of expertise. Yes, you get a lot. I mean, but I mean, that's their... 
that's their group. Like they are meant to get expertise. These are, but they're getting so many other good things too, man. I hope all the other classes get good stuff too. I can't wait to see what barbarians get and shit like that. Um, at 11th level, you get tireless. Uh, you get two different things here. Temporary hit points. Whenever you finish a short or long rest, you can give yourself a number of temporary hit points equal to 1d8 plus your proficiency bonus. You also get decreased exhaustion. If you are exhausted when you finish a short rest, your level of exhaustion decreases by 1. Generally okay. speaking, if you want to get rid of a level of exhaustion, you have to take a long rest. Now, actually, since we mentioned it, I do want to go down and look at the exhaustion uh, glossary term because it has changed. Okay. Um, so, exhausted condition. While you are subjected to the exhausted condition, you experience the following effects. Levels of exhaustion. This condition is cumulative. Each time you receive it, you gain one level of exhaustion. You die if your exhaustion level exceeds 10. You die. <laughs> D20 rolls affected. When you make a D20 test, you subtract your exhaustion level from the D20 roll. Spell save DC is affected. Subtract your exhaustion level from the spell save DC of any spell you cast. So basically, instead of saying like, one level of exhaustion, you have disadvantage on ability checks. Second level of exhaustion, your movement speed is halved. And making it overly complicated, it's basically saying for every level of exhaustion you have, you subtract that number for any d20 you roll, and your spell save DC, if you were to cast Fireball, and your spell save DC is 16, and you have two levels of exhaustion, your spell save is now 14. So it's now just a very blanket very simplified system. Hmm. Uh, finishing a long rest removes one of your current levels of exhaustion. When your exhaustion level reaches zero, you are no longer exhausted. So as a ranger, you can get your exhaustion levels back by a short rest. Which begs the question, how many do you lose on a long rest? Well, it gives you... you well, if this does decrease exhaustion, it wouldn't work on a long rest. Why not? It literally doesn't say anything about a long rest. Well, when It says when you finish a short rest. That's what this tireless feat does. The exhausted glossary term, period, you lose one point of exhaustion after a long rest. That's just a blanket fact. Yeah. What, I, what I'm saying here is... As written, it would do nothing because it there is nothing in that statement that says that works with long rests. There's not. We can theorize that maybe at some point they'll clarify, but until they clarify, does not work with it at all. Right. It almost seems like depending on which one you take, you're going to lose one point. So if you take a short rest, you lose one point of exhaustion. If you take a long rest, you lose one point of exhaustion. That's that's what word for word this reads as to me. Wait, say that again? So you were a ranger, okay? Yes. Let's say for whatever fucking reason, you get three levels of exhaustion fighting this creature that was just dishing out exhaustion left and right. Mm -hmm. You're still in the dungeon, but you need to heal because that really fucking sucked. You take a short rest you lose 
one point of exhaustion because of yep. your tireless feature. Yep. You get out of the dungeon. You're finally able to take a long rest. You still only remove one point of exhaustion because as per the rules of the exhausted condition, taking a long rest removes one point of exhaustion. Yep. Yeah. Okay. It's literally, yeah, this is literally what it is. So basically what it sounds like is that ranger needs to take two naps and then a long rest. <laughs> like, you know, how many times, like, you'll have a lot of t- different times where you could just, like, take a short rest. Mm, yeah, yes and no. It depends. I mean, if you are, if you are in any way, shape, or form traveling, like, in the back of a wagon, I don't think that counts as a short rest because you're still... I think that's kind of that's up to DM. your DM, honestly. Yeah, that's a, yeah, that sounds like a DM call more than anything. Because yeah. I personally would say yes. As long as it's a comf- it's not like some ramshackle wagon that, you and, know. And therein is probably the key word there. What kind of a wagon is this? Is there the severed head of a manticore that you just fought in the back? Probably not that comforting. Probably smells it's, like shit. It all depends on yeah. your DM for the specific situation. Agreed. Uh, 13th level, Nature's Veil. Uh, this is a little bit different from what the ranger used to be able to do, where basically they could take a short rest to paint them... I forget exactly how long it was. You After a certain amount of time, you were able to paint yourself to blend into your surroundings. It, mm-hmm. No one ever fucking used that. But with Nature's Veil, uh, as a bonus action, you can expend a spell slot and become invisible until the end of your next turn. Just poof. Gone. Hmm. Uh, at level 15 you get feral senses your connection to the force of nature grants you blind sight with a range of 30 feet that is fucking massive I don't know what blind sight is to be told uh, blind sight no matter if you are blind either physically or magically you can sense everything around you if so you someone can't see but you can feel yes if anyone is around you uh, that's invisible within 30 feet you know where they are you won't be able to see them, but you're like, that motherfucker's right there. Get his ass. Um, <laughs> at 18th level, you get Foe Slayer. Your Hunter's Mark now deals 1d10 extra damage rather than the 1d6. And yeah, then level 20, you get your Epic Boon. And I'm kind of skipping over the parts where you get like a feat or an ability score, increased feat, that kind of thing, because uh, blah, 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 blah. that's going to happen for everyone and no one really fucking cares. You're not special. Uh, (laughs) sorry Uh, the ranger subclass that they talk about in this one is the hunter uh, subclass this is a really fucking cool one Um, so at third level you get hunter's prey when you hit a creature with a weapon or an unarmed strike as part of the attack action on your turn the weapon or unarmed strike deals an extra 1d8 damage to the target if it is missing any of its hit points so basically once the thing is no longer full hp you just deal an extra d8 of damage just cuz you can only do it once per turn but still um sixth level hunter's lore this is fucking phenomenal you get hunter's lore uh while a creature is marked by your hunter's mark you know whether that creature has any immunities, resistances, and vulnerabilities, and if the creature has any, you know what they are. 
Just bonus action, no concentration, extra damage, and you know what they're resistant against and what hurts them. Also, hello, Pez. Hello. What is up, Venom? Uh, at 10th level, you get multi-attack. You always have Conjure Barrage prepared, and it does not count against the number of spells you can prepare. Here's an interesting thing. You can also cast a spell with 1st and 2nd level spell slots. When you do so, the spell's damage is reduced by 1d8 for each slot level below 3rd. I think this is the first time that I've ever seen a spell that can be downcasted. Wait, what is this one? Conjure Barrage. It's a 3rd level spell, but this is letting you downcast it. So and normally... It, saying this? Uh, it is on page 11. You're looking at 10th level multi-attack. Oh, I just, I'm sorry. I'm sitting over here. You're saying this. And I'm looking on the left-hand side. I'm like, I don't see, and I'm like, I didn't realize that mm-hmm. it was reading from, okay. Yeah, it's just, like, it's cool. I like that a lot. But <laughs> that's just weird. <laughs> hey, man, it is what it is. Those rangers are weird. You're weird. <laughs> I, I bet you would like the, the new ranger stuff they've got going on here, Nim. Oh, yeah, I would. I read all about it at work. <laughs> <laughs> extra, extra, read all about it. Uh, last but not least, at 14th level, you get superior hunter's defense. When you are hit by an attack roll... You can use your reaction to have the damage against yourself and redirect the other half of the damage to one creature other than the attacker that you can see within five feet of yourself. So you can basically say, I'm going to take half the damage and you're going to deal the other half to this idiot that's behind me. Now it says damage to one creature. That doesn't say an enemy. You could technically redirect that damage to an ally. If they pissed you off enough. Well, I mean, like if you need a if you need your barbarian barbarian to rage. True. Without, without or if you just need the barbarian to take any. Now, granted, this also doesn't say that you have to direct the damage. It says that you can. So, if you want to be a dick, or you want to make sure that your barbarian is so rich, granted, I think at fourteenth level the barbarian gets enduring rage anyway. By that point, uh, I'd have to check sure. on that. It's been a minute since I've really looked at their features. So it, it may kind of be negligible at that point. But you could just be a dick and make them stab one of your party members. Like, let's say the wizard cast Fireball on you other, earlier and somehow you're right beside him. You go, well, fuck you, dickhead. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I would use the spell Paper Cut Between the Hands. Oh, you bitch. There's a reason that's a ninth level spell. Yeah. <laughs> Kill him. <laughs> Kill him. Make them suffer. Uh, well, so, Nim, since you just joined in, is, is there any part of the uh, ranger thing that excites you the most? Not really. I mean, if you consider I mean, the fact they got rid of favorite terrain and tweaked a bunch of shit. Yeah, and I'm assuming you already oh. went over that, which is fan fantastic. Um... I kind of forgot to mention the favorite terrain thing being gone, but I did mention um, the favorite enemy had changed where you no longer pick a single race that you deal extra damage for. Instead, it gives you Hunter's Mark for free and there's no concentration whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
you basically just see a dude, bonus action, hey, I know where you are for the next eight hours. You can run, but you literally cannot hide. <laughs> yeah. Well, Which so long as they don't get out of range anyway. Really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Or rangers. <clears throat> well, shall we uh, scooch on to Zach's favorite class of all time in every game ever? The rogue. No, the rogue. I gotta leave. Sorry, I get disconnected. <laughs> oh yeah, you gotta go make some popcorn. <laughs> yeah. Fuck it. Uh, so the rogue, not surprisingly, their primary uh, ability score is dexterity. Oh man, big surprise. <clears throat> yeah, I know. It's just I don't know how I didn't see it coming. Okay, um, let's see. Looking for things that have changed or anything that's really interesting. Ugh. Oh god. Um, 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 um. Nothing really major. That's all that different i mean your hit yeah, points point. are still just go ahead and skip the rogue it's fine we don't need to talk about that <laughs> nah i still got a lot of whiskey left may as well while we're at it no just talk about other stuff that's all right uh so the rogue like the ranger gets their expertise feat at first level you also get sneak attack as your uh <clears throat> at first level um once on each of your turns, when you take the attack action, you can deal extra damage to one creature you hit with an attack roll if you're attacking with a finesse weapon or a ranged weapon and if at least one of the following requirements is met. You have advantage on the attack roll, which Kasumi just learned about in our last D&D session on Friday for Fools and Flagons, uh, or twitch.tv forward slash Fools and Flagons. Um, yeah, let The yeah, werewolf was prone, which gives... Uh, a melee attacker advantage, which let her use her sneak attack damage on it. Uh, the other option is if the you have an ally adjacent to the target. So if at least one of your allies is within five feet of the target and the ally is not incapacitated and you don't have disadvantage on the attack roll, you can use your sneak attack. Okay, so I do have to point this out. Mm -hmm. It says if you are incapacitated. Yes. Does dead count as incapacitated? Death counts as incapacitated, yes. Are you sure? In this in this book, does it literally say that? Yes. Because if it doesn't, that means your ally is dead. It will still give you advantage. No, it counts as being incapacitated. Uh-huh. <laughs> Listen, I'm going to keep on with rogues. You can scroll down and see if you can find something that says otherwise. Uh, so to determine the extra damage, roll a number of d6s equal to half your rogue level rounded up. There is a fancy schmancy little chart up above, or if you use D&D Beyond, it will, do the math, it, will do, it will do the math for you. Uh, at first level, it also gives you access to the Thieves Can't language. Uh, and you also get to pick one other language of your choice, which you choose from the standard languages or rare languages table. At second level, you get Cunning Action, which I believe you used to get at third level. I don't, I don't remember. Uh, but it basically allows you, as a bonus, act, bonus action, to use the Dash, Disengage, or Hide actions. Which is very, very cool. Kasumi is only just now getting used to it 43 sessions in. Listen. <laughs> it's an we're, adjustment. We're, we're listening. Give me a <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Mr. Mills. 
<laughs> um, at fifth level, you gain access to Uncanny Dodge. When an attacker that you can see hits you with an attack roll, you can use your reaction to have the attack's damage against you, rounding down. Wait. At seventh level, you get more expertise, two more skill proficiencies of your choice. At ninth level, which Kasumi would have just gotten, is Evasion. You can nimbly dodge out of the way of certain dangers. When you are subjected to an effect that allows you to make a dexterity saving throw to take only half damage, you instead take no damage if you succeed on the saving throw and only half damage if you fail. You cannot use this feature if you're incapacitated, a.k.a. asleep, a.k.a. dead. It's asleep. Dead's not confirmed yet. Uh, All right. Uh, at, e- <laughs> at 11th level, you get Reliable Talent. You have refined your talents until they are until they approach perfection. Whenever you make an ability check that uses one of your skill or tool proficiencies, you can treat a d20 roll of 9 or lower as a 10. Now, I would have to look at this again, but I do believe that a natural 1 is considered a failure no matter what. So in that aspect, reliable talent would not factor into that. That could also just be table rules. I don't really remember, and I don't feel. I like also find out. it very interesting that they don't mention that. In I think they do. Let me let me scroll on down real quick and look at the D twenty test real quick. Um, D twenty tests. Uh, something in the game affects the D twenty. When a player character rolls a one for a D twenty test, that character gains heroic inspiration. The DM determines whether. Okay, so it doesn't specify. It may have specified in the last one. But I also just can't be bothered to go back and look at that one either. So, um, <laughs> let's see, where was I? Can't be bothered. Uh, reliable talent. Ah, subtle strikes at level 13. When you attack, you know how to exploit a target's distraction. You have advantage on any attack roll... It targets a creature that is within five feet of at least one of your allies who is not incapacitated. It's interesting because it literally already gives you that. It's just being adjacent to your That's literally being adjacent to your allies. That's a little bit... Well, no. You would have to flank. If you are standing side by side with your ally, that's not flanking. Flanking, you need to be on the complete other side. What this is saying is that... So, let's say that Kasumi is using Basaito and she's using the short bow... Uh, form of the weapon if Zahn is standing right beside it she still attacks as normal but she gets sneak attack because there's an ally side by side at 13th level if Zahn is beside that same thing she now gets advantage plus sneak attack yeah cool so yeah Hmm. that's (laughs) that's just Can, Mm -hmm. can we just call sneak attack by what its true name is that being pack tactics, bitch. It's the bitch well, town. No, because pack tactics gives you advantage. Sneak attack is in uh, a set of d sixes that the rogue can roll for more damage. Slightly different. Pack tactics. <laughs> you also have to be within five feet of your own allies for pack tactics, which this is not. Correct. If anything, it, it, okay, sir. <laughs> It's reverse Uno card pack tactics. Like I am not convinced. 
I mean, it's not even a matter of being convinced. It literally is. Shut up and sort your moss by taste. At 15th level, you get Slippery Mind. Your cunning mind is exceptionally difficult to control. You gain proficiency in wisdom and charisma saving throws. Speaking of, that's another thing that they got rid of from Bard. You no longer have that... Uh, fuck, what is it called? Charming performance or whatever. There, there is a, there's an ability that bards get currently that on their turn, they start playing a song. And until the start of their next turn, everyone in the party or every creature they're choosing, I don't remember if there's a limit, has advantage on saving throws against being like charmed or fucked with mentally. We'll say this, I do find... Go ahead. Wait a minute. Don't hurt yourself. I actually completely... Uh, no. <laughs> the proficiency of wisdom and charisma. Like, why? So, Slippery Mind, giving yeah, you proficiency in wisdom and charisma. Wisdom and charisma saving throws are the generally the saving throws used for uh, charm person, sleep, um, that sort of thing. So it basically is making you harder to subjugate mentally. Like if you're going up against a mind flayer, having proficiency is going at 15th level is giving you what? Plus three, plus four to your rolls. I will. So true, but that's not what I'm really too worried about. It's like you gain proficiency with this stuff regardless. Oh no, no, it's saving throw. Never mind. It's yes. Saving, throw. saving throws. I, I jumped the gun there. I didn't see the saving throws part. Not bad. Right. No, that's, that's fine. I thought it was just you gain proficiency and I'm like, why? <laughs> <laughs> like you don't need this. I'm like, oh, saving throws. Yeah, I guess that's all right. Uh, so seventeenth level. This is where shit starts to get stupid. Stupid. Thank you. Seventeenth <laughs> level, you get elusive. You are so evasive that attackers rarely gain the upper hand against you. No attack roll has advantage against you while you are not incapacitated. That's stupid. That is it's, stupid. That is literally stupid. That's the dumbest fucking I don't know what you're talking about. Kasumi, I think it's great. shut the fuck up! <laughs> Listen, you're not going to be complaining about it when I save your ass one of these days. You're fucking right I am, because if the rules actually go through and casters can't crit, melee people can, and now you just can't have advantage against you, is fucking stupid. Hey, look, anybody want to play this game and not have to worry about anything ever? Play a rogue! Yeah, With uncanny dodge, evasion. Oh, and let's not even get into 18th level stroke of luck. You oh, have an uncanny knack for succeeding when you need to. If you fail a d20 test, you can turn the roll into a 20. Once you use this feature, you cannot use it again until you finish a short or long rest. A short rest. Oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> let me just go get the fucking wheelchair. Now, here's, here's my question. And I'm, I know what Zach's answer is going to be because he doesn't want it to be what I'm worried that this is. Oh, no, go ahead. So this says you can turn the roll into a 20. It does not say that is a natural 20. Oh, you know so what this sounds like to me is you basically are turning your roll into a dirty 20. You add your modifiers and you move on from there. It does not count as a natural 20. 
yeah, it I would depend on how either. do you go by rules that are written or do you go by interpretation? Because as written, you're correct in your assessment that it's just saying that it's a 20. That doesn't okay. mean that it's going to pass. A 20 could still fail. Mm-hmm. Some armor right. classes are above 20. And that's what I'm saying. It is a 20 plus your modifier. So if it's an attack roll, uh, yours is like, what, a plus 9, Zach? 8, 9, something like that. So it would still be a 29, which is really fucking high. It's, I mean, you know, that's only at 9th level. We're talking 18th level here. It's probably going to be higher than that at that point. Yeah. But it is not an automatic success is the way that I am reading this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah like, and it we're all in agreement. That's really Correct. not that bad. Like, that's still, that's decent. For a long rest, that's a pretty fair cooldown. I can't really bitch too much about that. That's yeah. just eh. But now if that is saying, if what they're meaning to say is that you turn it into a critical success, then that's broken. Yeah, that wouldn't. Well, fair. at the same point, they would literally say you could turn it into a critical success or a, a natural 20. Because if you look at any of the other 20 rolls, it says something other than just a 20. I know. But Wizards of the Coast are not traditionally known for typing exactly Smart. what they mean. Just saying. No, they are very smart. Like, the fact that they're able to do even a, a, a modicum of what they're doing here and have it make some semblance of sense is Stupid. an astronomical success. That was also a fake word you just used. Yes, Which one? I heard you say, I heard you say ass. Modicum? Said, modicum? Yeah. No, it's a word. You I may not have pronounced it correctly because whiskey, but it's a word. It's a big word. It wasn't. Well, it's technically a short word. It's just a fancy word. What's a math? O d i c u m. That's only seven letters. That's. That's a math. That's only three letters more than moss. Moss, moss. Oh. (laughs) You kiss your mother with that mouth? Moss. Yeah. Ew. Moss. Anyway. Uh, so the subclass that they have previewed for Rogue is the Thief. At third level, you get Fast Hands. Uh, you have additional options for your bonus action of your cunning action feat. You can search, which uh, you can take the search action as a bonus action. Uh, you also have Sleight of Hand. Make a dexterity check, Sleight of Hand, to pick a lock or disarmor trap with Thieves tools or to pick a pocket. Those you can both do as a bonus action now. Now, with that being said, the search action is brand new, and I'm going to scroll down to take a look at that, because um, it is exactly what you would think. It's exactly what I thought it was going to be. I don't know what Nim is thinking. It's probably Isa or Moss or some thing around that. It was both. It was Oh, God. Isa covered in Moss. Ah! You. I know. Your brain is an enigma. Uh, so, when you take the search action, you make a wisdom check to discern something that isn't obvious. The search table suggests which skills are applicable when you take this action, depending on what you're trying to detect. So, the search action, uh, insight, medicine, perception, and survival. With insight, you're trying to detect a creature's state of mind. Medicine, you're trying to detect a creature's ailment. Perception, you're trying to detect concealed creature or object. And for survival, you're trying to detect tracks or food. So search action is now a thing. 
Yeah. Okay. I'm stalling to scroll back up. Okay. Uh, also at third level, you get a feature called Second Story Work. You have trained to reach especially hard-to-reach places, granting you these benefits. Climb speed. You get a climb speed equal to your normal speed. And jump distance. When you take the jump action, you can make a dexterity check instead of a strength check. So I guess you get a running start. Uh, Kasumi, you might like this one. Sixth level, Supreme Sneak. You had advantage on every dexterity check of stealth that you make, provided you are not wearing medium or heavy armor. Considering that you're wearing a fucking kimono, I think you, I think you're good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, at 10th level, the you get a feature called Use Magic Device. In your treasure hunting, you have learned how to maximize use of magic items, granting you the following benefits. Attunement. You can attune up to four magic items at once. Charges. Whenever you use a magic item property that expends a charge, roll a d6. On a roll of six, you use the property without expending the charges. With scrolls, you can use any spell scroll that bears a cantrip or f a first level spell. You can also try to use any spell scroll that contains a higher level spell, but you must first succeed on an intelligence check or an, an arcana check with a DC equal to 10 plus the spell's level. On a successful check, you cast a spell from the scroll and you use intelligence as your spellcasting ability for this casting. On a failed check, the scroll disintegrates. Which that wording really confuses me. Because generally when you use a spell scroll successfully, it fizzles away anyway. But the way this is worded, it sounds like you can use a spell scroll and if, so long as you succeed, it doesn't go away. Am I reading that wrong? One second. This is page 15, top right. No, I'm reading. <laughs> Because why, why would it specify on a failed check that the scroll disintegrates? Instead of just, on a failed check, the spell doesn't go off and it still disintegrates. Again, just really weird wording. While he's reading that, I'm going to go ahead and read the 14th I, I mean, it's, real quick. It's oh. literally just, if you fail, you still fail. No, I'm, I get that. But what I'm curious about, traditionally speaking, when you use a spell scroll, whether or not it's a success or a failure, the scroll disintegrates. The way that this is strangely worded, I wonder if it means that on a success, the scroll persists. It, it depends on the wording for scrolls when they release a more detailed breakdown of scrolls. Like, so if the scroll, like right. you read it and it says, if the scroll succeeds on a cast, does the ability and then fizzles away. Right. It's gone. Because, like, it it also doesn't say it doesn't consume the scroll. So that's no, the biggest thing. Like, yeah, but you, you also can't assume just from the lack of written information just because it doesn't say it doesn't mean it doesn't not do it i think doesn't 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 actually uh you just said four negatives which means it's a positive <laughs> right. Oh my God. So, right so uh, actually it does mean so what you're saying is it's a solid maybe 
Y'all are um, I was brain. like, I was like, you're like, I was like, you were saying it's like negative, positive, negative, positive. I'm like, he ended on a positive. It means that it, it, means it does do it. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> yeah. Um, at 14th level, you get thieves' reflexes. You can now take a second bonus action on your turn, provided it is a bonus action from cunning action. You can use this feature a number of turns equal to your proficiency bonus, and you regain all expended uses when you finish the long rest. So basically, Kasumi would be able to move, attack, cast Mage Hand, bonus action dash, or bonus action hide. Wait, why can she cast I mean, after attacking? It, well, I mean, she's a... Because I think Mage Hand is a bonus action. It, it's, it's a Arcana thing. I was literally just pulling random shit out of my ass. If she was a an arcane trickster, she wouldn't have this particular feature ability, so it doesn't matter. Okay, so better example. Kasumi moves, she shoots her bow, she dashes, bonus action hide. Cause she used bonus go. action dash. I think depending on what they end up keeping for classes, it's gonna get a little cluttery. Well keep in mind, this go. is a subclass of thief. I'm aware of what I mean is like, so for example, like these are all bonus actions, but imagine like, so for example, imagine if you were a Haragon, for example, just because it's the only one that I can think of off the top of my head that I know has a bonus action and has the rabbit hop as a bonus action. Yeah. Or like, it's just like, there's just a lot of bonus actions you're going to have to pick from. No. Well, because according to this, in that particular instance, you would move like normal, attack, bonus action, rabbit hop, Bonus action dash, because your second bonus action has to be from your cunning action list, which is dash, hide, search, or, hold on, I went ahead and forgot the other one, give me just a second. Um, so, dash, disengage, hide, search, yeah. Yeah. Oh, or and pickpocket. So, technically, you could move... Pickpocket, dash, hide. Yeah. Yeah, that's wild. <laughs> or fuck, that's, you that's could you could move, action dash, bonus action dash, second bonus action dash. So that's 30, 60, 90, 120 feet of movement, just pew! <laughs> yeah. God, that's broken. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta get the fuck up out of (laughs) here. Well, I mean, unfortunately, that brings us to the end of the uh, current offered classes. So, closing thoughts: any that you're, anyone here is particularly excited for? I'm more interested to see when they release kind of the first look at everything to kind of see what everyone else is getting because like they talk of they've done a lot of different stuff like for example I've said it we've said it a million times like spellcatchers can't crit um, certain things are a little different spells are probably going to end up changing or like what spells you're going to be able to take are probably going to end up changing so like oh they've absolutely changed s- for, yeah. perfect example um, bards can no longer take cure wounds yeah regardless. I'm going to be very interested to see what other classes get 
because if I, like, me personally, if I don't see those classes also improving, <clears throat> like... Yeah, there, there uh, needs to be some sort of an improvement, at the very least, with spellcasters to make up for the fact that they cannot crit. Mm-hmm. That's just a, that's just an example. Like, there's, yeah. there's got to be a bunch of other stuff, too. But, like, it seems like everybody's getting flavorful and tasty things. I'm very interested to see some of the other stuff that they come up with. <laughs> flavorful I and just tasty. Hope, I just hope that they don't... I just hope that they don't do what I've seen certain games do, and that's, oh, man... This type of class is really powerful for the first season until we try to balance it. And now all of this is the most powerful because we just nerfed everything to the ground and now this other class is super powerful. I'm just hoping they do a little bit of love to everybody and don't just give all of this really cool new stuff to only one little group of classes. It doesn't seem like they're going to do that, but that's yeah. my only real that's my like that's my biggest concern. I is like I definitely think so from the video that they put out when this next round of playtest rules came out is the survey for the first round of playtest rules was still under was still undergoing when this second playtest came out so i think when the third round of playtest rules come out they will be tweaking things based on the survey from the first playtest. So this second playtest has not been tweaked or modified whatsoever with any of the public's input. Yeah. The second playtest rules have been released based on their own internal testing. So, which is why they were saying like, you know, you're going to see this natural one gives you inspiration don't freak out. We're literally just testing to see if it's even remotely good. If there's a hint that it's good, maybe they can make something of it in the future. I don't know. Maybe it's like half advantage or something if they come up with a term like that. Who the fuck knows? I have high hopes because it's going to be two years of playtesting and writing and coming out with shit and surveys from the community. I have high hopes. Yeah. Let's say, like again, I'm I am very excited. It's just I'm more excited, but I'm also just like I just want to make sure that they don't screw the pitch. Mm-hmm. Cautiously optimistic. Yeah, cautiously optimistic is a very good way of putting it. Well, so let's uh let's let's end with a little bit of a bet. Okay. Who, huh? I said okay. Which do you think is gonna be the next set to come out? Mages, priests, or warriors? I think probably whatever next on the list. I'd say mages. Yeah, mages. so whatever it's the mages will be next on that list, so that's probably what they'll end up doing. Magic. I want warriors to be next. I want to see what's happening with barbarians. They're so. probably gonna be last. I'm, I'm gonna bet. I'm gonna bet warriors just to be different. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, like I said, I'm gonna be very interested. I think honestly, if I had to put any concern on anything, it's my dread is that stuff like Tempest Clerics, like classes that are just very, very different than the base class, are going to be gone. Uh, they're not going to be gone. Even if they don't update or change anything from the existing subclasses, they have said from the beginning that everything up until now that has been released for 5th edition will be available and playable. Okay. 
So at the very least, Tempest Cleric will exist. It just may not receive any TLC. If they think that it's fine the way that it is, then it may not... (laughs) It may not be touched. It may not be updated. If they I, feel like it needs to be updated, then maybe we'll see something in a future playtest. Companies do say one thing and do another, you know. I I honestly we'll kind of believe see. him on this. Because I mean, I e- even even down here, we're, we're you know, you're, where we're talking about the class groups, the asterisk says the artificer is also an expert. That class appears in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything and Eberron Rising from the Last War, not the Player's Handbook. So this is literally just talking about they're they're only really tweaking the Player's Handbook. They're not tweaking the extra shit. Yeah. So if there is an extra subclass that comes from another book, it may not be touched by one D and D at all ever. Or yeah. maybe so it's you'll a still future get all thing. the base cleric cha- or the base class changes, but like. The extra stuff won't change. That's what it sounds like at this point in time, yes. I don't think anything is going to be completely gotten rid of. It'll probably be completely and totally tweaked. You know, worst case scenario or best case scenario. Maybe they do a great job on it. Who knows? We've got two years to figure this out. So, with that being said, I've got nothing else. I'm out of whiskey. So, I think (laughs) that, uh, that about does it for us. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good talk. I contributed. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, so um, Whiskey Wednesdays will will be live streaming again in the next uh, in in two weeks, where we're going to cover the features and some more of the glossary terms that have changed. Uh, The feats. Oh, some of these feats are awesome, and we'll actually get to cover the epic boons that come along with this. And some of those are now granted you are getting these at level 20, so they're going to be broken and yeah, that's going to be fun. So we will see you the next time we go live. If you haven't already join the discord link should be in the chat. If you're watching this live, it'll be down below in the description or on a clickable button somewhere down below. If you want to pop in and say hi, if you have any suggestions for whiskey Wednesdays, please let us know and we'll be more than happy to cover them. Uh, we have made custom subclasses before. We talk about the basic rules and races and classes and whatnot. So if you have anything that confuses you or you just want to know more about it, let us know and we'll do a deep dive into it. So yes. until the next time we go live, thank you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Good night, everybody. Well, bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Whiskey Wednesdays podcast. You can watch the show live on Twitch every other Wednesday. If you'd like to recommend a topic for us to discuss, please join our Discord. The links can be found in the description, and we look forward to seeing you soon.